Welcome to Building Charleston, a podcast where we shine a bright light on the dynamic companies changing the landscape of Charleston, South Carolina. My name is Matt Chapdelaine, and as your host each week, I'll be bringing you the most interesting business owners in the Lowcountry. We'll explore how they got to where they are, what they're working on, and what their vision is for the future of Charleston. Thank you for being here. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. This episode of Building Charleston is brought to you by Lane Commercial Real Estate, the Low Country's premier commercial real estate brokerage firm focused on Charleston's office, retail, and industrial tenants. If you're responsible for your company's real estate needs and your company is expanding, looking to open a new location, or opening the first location in the Charleston area, give Lane Commercial Real Estate a call at 843-508-3038 or go to the website at www.lanecre.com. That's L-A-I-N-E-C-R-E.com. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Building Charleston podcast, a podcast where we are shining a light on business owners, the people who are responsible for businesses, everyone who's really making the business community go here in Charleston, South Carolina. Today is May 5th, and this episode will be released on the week of May 11th for everybody who's listening. Right now, you're listening to just one episode in a five-part series for businesses in Charleston. The goal of this episode and the series is really to give our listeners and business owners the knowledge they need to stay in business. And if possible, come out of this whole COVID pandemic, whatever you want to call it, bigger and stronger than when they went into it. Today's episode is the fourth in a five-part series. For those of you who have not listened to some of the other ones, I'd encourage you to go back. We've talked about some of the resources that are out there for businesses. We've talked about strategies for business owners, for landlords, and also some of the tenants out there that are really, really doing well. So if you like this episode, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to some of the other ones. Today's episode is what comes next as we prepare to open from what has been a lockdown for the last month or so. Today, we've invited Mike Seekings and Frank Wells. I'm going to ask each of you just take a minute to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your background, and then we'll dig into some questions for the listeners. So Mike, if you wouldn't mind, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, Matt, thanks. Thanks for having both of us here to talk about all things this region in a time that is really new and unique. We've never seen anything quite like it before. You know, I was thinking this morning, I've now been sitting on city council for 11 years. I've lived here in this region for 33 years, and the change has been unbelievable. And we've seen so many permutations of this region and what we've done, and now just a new one. And I think, you know, I look at this as a time of opportunity as people get through the challenges that they have every day. I think on the other side of this, Charleston is really set up to succeed in the short term and build a better, stronger place. So look forward to talking about what it looks like. You know, the government's here to help, right? (laughs) Yeah. You know, on a serious note, really one of the things that, from my perspective on city council, as opposed to a businessman in Charleston or someone who lives there, is just sort of set the tone and sort of set a path forward that people know where they're going and how they can succeed. And I think that's really where we are at this point. It's only been amazingly six weeks. It feels like forever. Six weeks since we really looked and started to shut things down. It was St. Patrick's Day that the restaurants closed. And, you know, now here we are. May 4th, May 5th, and it's the world's changed. So totally yeah, different world. So totally well, different world. Mike, we look forward to hearing Thanks. your take from the city side and from the medical community. Frank, tell us a little bit about yourself and your company. Yeah, hey, Frank. Well, speaking of medical, I was born in Roper Hospital, downtown Charleston. So uh, mom still lives in my childhood home in West Ashley in Huntington wow. Woods. 
So I got the privilege of running medical clinics for Health First for 12 years as their CEO and sold those a year and a half ago by the owner. Now started my own. Of course, started in January, which is perfect timing for all this. The last four years or so, I've had an IV clinic down on King Street called Renew Medical, testing out the self-pay model. The new clinic, Holy City Med Urgent Primary Care, is a self-pay model. And we've been able to do some really cool things to adapt and serve the patients in a way where they might not want to walk into your clinic. And so they might just come through a drive through to get medicine. More on that later. Okay. The world is changing. I look forward to hearing from both of you. So let's start it off with, I guess, kind of a broad question here. We've started to open up, right? Let me ask the question. Should we open up? And how do you think it's been handled locally so far? Again, a couple different perspectives. From the government side, I think one of the things we have to do is take our lead from those who know what they're talking about, right? PhDs and MDs come to mind. Where are we in terms of the virus and how it's spreading and how it's affecting communities? And I think we need to listen to that. But we also have to think about what people are doing naturally. And that is we want to get out there in the world and we want to interact. And I think what we need to do is just think about how we interact. It'll be a different world of interaction, but a world of interaction. We can't, I think, all be retreated. So I think, yes, we should be opening up. We should do it smartly. We should do it wisely. We should do it in a way that takes the realities of what's going on in our community today into account. Monitor as we go, but have a goal going forward of success. Okay. I don't know if there's any question about that's where we need to be. Frank, what say you? I've always believed that we can do both, that we can actually care for those most at risk and vulnerable in our community, that you know, the older population as well as those with compromised immune systems in many ways and prior illnesses. We're seeing the facts coming out that those are the ones that are actually dying from this awful virus. But I think we can take care of those folks and we can also take care of those that are caring for their families through their jobs and their income. I mean, I fully believe that our job is our calling, our way of influencing the world, whether it be in politics or in the workplace. And we can actually influence the lives of others through our work, right? It's not just a place I have to go. It's a place I get to go. So I think we can do both. People talk about the Swedish model. I, you know, I haven't been to Sweden recently in any time, but I believe there is a way we can actually do both. And even if it's not a physical illness you have, but you have a fear of something, fine. You know, being able to quarantine, continue your quarantine, working at home may be an option for people that are really concerned about being out in the workplace and in the public. I really think we can do both. Okay. That leads into the next question of, you know, can we get back to normal? And if normal, like, what is normal? Is that even definable at this point? Well, I've never been much being able to define that anyway. We live in changing times <laughs> yeah. all the time. This is probably the most drastic example of the changing times. And I, I think really what we're looking at is next. What's the next normal? What are the next steps? I don't like the word new. I like next because we're going to have to do this incrementally. What it looks like, I think, is going to be a slow building upon the successes that we know work. And then some changes. I mean, certainly, I think in all of our individual lives, mine in particular, my life looks so different every single day than it looked two months ago. And in the way we conduct business, where I conduct business on my law side, where I conduct business on the government side, it's in front of a computer, Zoom meetings, it's distanced, it's got some advantages. There's no excuse, by the way, in the next normal for anybody to ever be late to a meeting, right? <laughs> you can't be stuck in a traffic jam because that traffic jam is just an opportunity for you to participate, right? So yeah. I think you're going to see some things. People will slowly but surely come out. It's interesting, our region, which depends so much on interaction of people because we're a tourist economy, mm-hmm. that's the challenge for us. This may be different than some other places, both 
in this country and in the world. So the next normal, I think, is understanding where we are, making sure the steps we take are safe, are calculated, are reasonable, but move us forward. Frank, you agree? Yeah, I do. My saying is not back to normal, but back to relationships. We are made to relate with each other. Certainly having a core family for many of us has been a real blessing during this time. My concern is for those that are having really bad mental challenges during this time of isolation. We were never meant to isolate. The worst thing you can do in prison is put people in isolation. And that's just been awful. So there's all, you know, in the medical field, do no harm is our tenant. And so that has not been the case during this global shutdown, if you will. And so, yes, there's a scary, terrible virus out there, but the response was to shut everything down and to isolate many people, I think, that really can't take the isolation. And, you know, there's been early reports of abuse and people making bad choices when they're at home and physical abuse and emotional abuse and addiction and all that kind of stuff. And so really it's back to relationships and support and loving and caring for each other. And Zoom is a fantastic technology for some of that, but is not all. It That's is not fact, the yeah. whole solution. And so we need to, a loving touch on the shoulder, somebody, hey, it's going to be okay. You can't do that over Zoom. So mine is about relationships. Okay. So kind of a heavy question. And while it doesn't sound like it pertains to businesses reopening up, I think it's very relevant to those who are working from home. So the question here is, and this may be a little bit hard to answer, but as someone from the medical field and someone from government and a city leader, what is your expectation on school getting back to normal in the fall? Maybe an almost impossible question, but I know, you know, my wife, that's probably the one question she has for any of the guests on these episodes. And I know that, you know, for me personally, you know, my partner at work, Adam, that puts additional stresses on our work when our kids can't go to camp or when they can't go to school. As we look at the fall, is there any sort of indication one way or the other as to how that shoe is going to drop? Are we going to be able to send our kids to school or is that still kind of in doubt? From a medical perspective, the young and healthy are the ones most resilient to this. They are the ones still building their immune system. And those are the ones we say somewhat jokingly, go out and eat some dirt. You know, the germs do support their immune system and create this response, this immune response and stuff. Again, if they're immunocompromised, that is totally separate. But for the kids to do that, and there are ripple effects too. You know, there's some kids that get two of their meals and maybe two of their only meals throughout the day at school. So we have to consider those effects, too, in the supply chain of food and farmers supplying the schools with those foods. Now that those foods are being, I don't know if they're just turning them over in the soil and, and, and not actually producing and selling those goods by the farmers. There are some ripple effects of teachers and their livelihood and all that kind of stuff. So I would say that, uh, again, if I want to point to Sweden as an example, there are other examples. It's the one most known right now is they kept the ones that aren't really affected by this, although we can find an example of a flu death in a child and a COVID death in a child. But those are the ones generally not affected by this. And there are ripple effects for keeping those schools closed as much as there are opening them as well. Yeah. So, As I look at the stuff that some of my kids touch and then they put in their mouth or, or whatnot, I have to imagine that that poor coronavirus must get into their systems and say, I just surrender. The <laughs> immune system is so strong, whether it's like the gym daycare or whatever it is, they touch just about everything and it goes in their mouth. So, And, and I would say different if you have an infant. So uh, please hear it clearly that infants are still building their immune system. You know, they're protected in the womb. They come out, they're building their immune system. So that is not the case. A four-year-old is way different than an infant. Mike, what's the government doing to take steps for Charleston to open up safely? Are there any initiatives or things that are being done that are maybe weren't done before? So I think this is a time more so than any 
perhaps in our history, our government needs to do a lot of listening before it does a lot of talking, right? Now, we have set a course forward in the city of Charleston, and I know our sister jurisdictions around us have done the same thing. We gather a good bit, although from a distance, and we meet every day and we look at what's going on in our community, and we take information from a number of different places. And so I think right now, listening and setting the standard that's based on some rational thought process that thinks about the realities of now and the future. I was taken by your question about the schools. You know, schools are the ultimate gathering places, not Mm -hmm. just children there, but you've got teachers, administrators, school resource officers. You've got everybody from two to 80 coming in out of school. So it's a good place to look. But I was struck when we came and we gathered here today, just before we started talking, I saw your two young kids looking through a door from the inside out. It's so unusual to see kids inside on a Tuesday morning as opposed to outside and how important it is for young children, especially to be interacting and be in schools. And again, it's that balancing. So from the government side, we hear a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of interests. A lot of people want to get moving. People have their own interests in mind. But I think I've seen, particularly over the last month, people have really been balancing their interests with the bigger community interests. In the end, once you've got that balance, you can make some good, sound decisions. No government's been perfect. No business has been perfect. No one's been perfect through this because it's a game of imperfection because we don't know a lot. We're learning along the way. So again, responsible, thought-based, fact-based, metric-based decision-making that gives people the opportunity to succeed is the way to go. And nothing too extreme at this point. I think we need to be balanced. Okay. Probably a question for both of you. From business owner side, if they're in an office, if they're in a manufacturing facility, they're in a retail facility, what kind of steps should they be taking to open up responsibly, right? If everyone's got their own challenges, were there any kind of themes that business owners should be taking to make sure that they open up in a responsible way or reopen in a responsible way? Well, I think that's really frank. That's that's the medical side of things. I think really get an expert on that here. And stewardship. Being a good steward of people's lives and your family, you know, much in some you should treat your employees as family because they are your home family and work family. And the CDC came out with some very good guidelines, you know, that sheet with the nine steps on it and staying home if you're sick and washing your hands for at least 20 seconds. If you don't have a sink in your car, use a hand sanitizer cough into the fold of your elbow and all those types of things that we should always have been doing that are now more highlighted for us now during COVID-19, during a illness that spreads, you know, presumably more rapidly and, and by some statistics. So just taking care of those folks. I mean, when we see patients come in and first of all, we're not letting them in if they have any COVID-19 symptoms, they can go through a drive-through and get the COVID-19 test and figure out if they have the illness or not. If they still have some illness after a negative test, we'll see them in the office. If they have any symptoms, cough, and that sort of thing, we put a mask on them before we bring them inside. Our, our staff is gloved and masked, and when they're doing the COVID-19 test, the shields and the whole garb looks like a hazmat suit. Mm-hmm. And so we're just taking protective measures. We're using the PPE, the personal protective infor- um, uh, equipment. So just being good stewards, knowledgeable, watching the news and taking the facts out of the hysteria out of that and reading both sides really of the interest of, you know, one is... 100% economy, one is 100% stay home. And as Mike said, I think there's a balance here as we learn more information. And I should be able to say something different today than I said four weeks ago mm-hmm. and not be attacked for that because we are learning more and more as we go through this. Even the challenge with a podcast like this is to make it relevant today, but kind of make it relevant tomorrow, right? So with so many unknowns, if we're kind of looking forward, you know, kind of down the pipe. And I think one of the big fears is that we have a, you know, a phase two, right? Where, where we kind of open back up and things start to revert back to, oh my gosh, now we got to kind of go back on lockdown. What are the things that we should be looking for of a phase two coming or not coming? What are the things we should look for to say, hey, listen, this is going really well, or oh my gosh, we're kind of at the 
step of phase two? Well, I mean, I think, again, coming back from our side of things, you know, collaborative, cooperative, and responsible steps along the way. I think of an example yesterday, we had a city council meeting where we debated and talked about the reopening of restaurants. And where do you look for some guidance and some help? You know, should government get in the game of putting out mandatory regulations and guidelines for restaurants? And if they should, where do you get them from? Well, where we would get them from is from the restaurants themselves. Mm -hmm. And if you're in that business, if you're in the hotel business or the restaurant business, long before COVID came along, you were in sanitary business. You had a product out there that had to be sanitary because that is what the market demanded. And that's what reality demanded. You know, and thinking about all that, I just think that we work together. We put a set of standards out there that will work for the big picture, but will also allow business to succeed rather than fail. And government's job now is to not overstep. If we're going to allow things to open up, allow them to open up in a way that will breed success, not failure. And if we're not going to allow things to open up, tell people in advance we're not. Don't you know, misstep. The misstep can really hurt people in a number of different ways, both in terms of their health and in terms of their business health. So. I think we've got to be reasoned and rational. And again, back to the example of the hospitality industry and particularly the restaurants, looking to them for guidance, looking to them for what they can do. And look, it's in their best interests and all of ours best interests to be healthy going forward, mm -hmm. right? This is a long-term play. We're not here shorting things. This is a long-term play. And I think with very few exceptions that people get that. And I think you will see that private industry in the end will lead the charge. And when I say that, there will be a set of regulations and rules and pronouncements put out there by government allowing certain things. If you don't see private industry rushing in behind it, a little too soon, right? Sure. If they start squawking a little bit, maybe we're a little behind the eight ball, but that in the end will be the barometer and the test. And being able to adapt. I mean, you see a bunch of adaptions. So the, the restaurants that are able to survive are the ones that are doing the takeout and delivery. And there's a blessing side of that, right? More families eating together at the same time, right? Pull the earbuds out of your ear and, and actually talk to your family <laughs> members. Mm -hmm. You know, put the phone down. It almost would have been better had all of our Wi-Fi shut down for six weeks. I mean, imagine that, right? We wouldn't be able to Zoom calls. But so some of that is happening. And so, but the business is being able to adapt. I mean, who would have thought five, six years ago, we were laughing about drive-through medicine. Why would you ever do that? You know, no one's going to put their cheek out of the window and get a shot in the bottom for something like that. But we're doing it now. We're doing drive-through testing. I mean, not doing medicine in the car, but we're doing the testing, even a flu shot for $20 in a drive-through. We're actually going back and retrofitting and putting a drive-through covering over our West Ashley location and just changed the plans for our North Rhett and 526 location to add a drive-through. So no fries with that, but we're yes. doing a drive-through medicine. It's a, the ability to adapt and keep people safe and not just the physical safety, but their, their peace of mind and addressing the fact that there is fear and concern and much of it valid, some of it not. And so you have to be able to address that if you're going to be someone who's going to provide care in any way, hotel, restaurant, mm -hmm. medical for yeah. our population here locally. So this is kind of a, a setup to the next question, but I think it's important as we kind of, you know, we assess what's going on here. Obviously, different areas have been affected differently for, you know, New York just got crushed, right? The weather was colder. People were kind of more closely packed together. Here in Charleston, we haven't, you know, we haven't had that kind of epic carnage, thank God. What do you see as part of why we're doing better than parts of the country like New York. Is it the weather? Is it our density? What is it about Charleston and maybe some of these Southern communities that have accounted for less death and carnage than, than some of the Northern more densely packed? It's a combination of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, one is community. 
Our community got ahead of this a little bit more than others. And we had a little warning. We had a little bit more lead time than other communities. And that's always helpful, right? If you, if you get a little bit of the tip of the hat. And I think generally in this community and in Charleston specifically, we took some steps that people at the very beginning groused about these so-called stay-at-home orders people didn't like, shutting down restaurants. People thought, oh my goodness, how can you ever do that? Well, those turned out to be good measures given the environment we lived in, tough measures for people who are out there. So I think that's been a part of it. Also, just density. I mean, if you look at New York City, they've got 20 million people in a number of square miles that we don't ever see anything like that. People living on top of each other in high rises that are 70, 80 stories tall. So we've got already built in a social distancing and a physical distancing. I don't like the term social distancing. Physical distancing that other densely packed cities don't have. And we got a little bit ahead of it, but don't let your guard down. We still are learning. We've got to take at least some, if not most of our cues from the medical community to see what's out there. And, and, you know, I just think at this point, we don't want to, you know, pat ourselves on the back too much. We are still working hard and looking at things every day. We're not out of this yet and we need to partner with it. And, you know, that's probably a question for a year from now to see, you know, did we really take the right steps? If they were good, let's put those in our bag of tricks for the future. If there were some missteps, let's learn from that and go forward. The short answer is we don't know. Right. Like I said, it's, uh, it's probably a year out or so to look back at the data. You know, there's a couple of indicators, maybe somewhat anecdotal, but certainly travel in cities like New York and Boston, LA, Miami, those types of things, people traveling from other countries. Uh, More international countries. travel. That's right. Mm-hmm. International travel is one. And I think sun is another factor. So tall buildings in these big cities, like New York and Boston, Miami, you have these tall buildings, you're walking around. I lived in New York for four years after college as a bond trader. It was a lot of fun, but we were walking through and the, the sun could be out, but you don't see it. It doesn't see you is really the more important part. Mm-hmm. They've, you know, they've come out with a study a couple of weeks ago, the White House briefing that sunlight kills COVID in less than a minute, right? Where it can sit on plastic for yeah. hours and hours and hours and maybe days, but as soon as the sunlight hits it. And so in that crazy density in New York City that I lived through as well, it's quite a challenge. But Again, being inside doesn't get you out to vitamin D and to where COVID kills it in less than a minute. I mean, give me anything that kills it in less than a minute, I'll take it. And sunlight is one of those things, washing your hands and hand sanitizer. And so we really have to be smart about, you know, the stay at home shouldn't be stay inside. It should be, you know, stay around the people that you're always with, which is family. You can move about in those pods. And even there may be work pods that are safe to move about because you're already exposed to each other and viruses. When we see the biggest spikes in medicine is just after the holidays, just after we go home to Ohio or go travel or grandma comes from somewhere else and comes to us. And about seven to 10 days later, those viruses happen in the flu and the cough, cold congestion. And so it is the travel between communities, not within the community. So that's why I think New York and Boston and Miami and LA and some of those cities really getting hit hard because they had things coming into them, which in a normal flu environment would have spikes anyway. That whole population replacement, I think, has been a big deal. So I mentioned this was going to be a lead up to another question. And here it is. How is this going to this COVID thing and some of the opportunities and strengths that we have? How is it going to affect development and migration here in Charleston? I mean, one of the questions I always ask people on the show is, what's your vision for Charleston? And like nine out of 10 of them say, we got to slow down the development. And there's no doubt that having this kind of go on, a slowdown, is going to slow things down. But my gosh, every single one of my friends who lives north in a big city keeps asking, tell me more about Charleston. So how is this going to affect development and migration here? Well, I think you just touched on it in the last part of your question, and that is this. I mean, I think both short and long term for this region, the population growth rather than replacement is going to be fairly 
significant and on a steady curve and a curve rising. As people have watched the world change around them, they've had very different and interesting perspectives. If you're up in the Northeast and the cold and the rain, and you're literally sort of sheltered in place, you want out. And I think the Southeast really presents an incredible opportunity for people who are looking for, again, a less populous, less dense place to live with a high quality of life, which we have here with some opportunities and the weather. So I think long-term, if you're in a small business in Charleston, if you're in the real estate business, just about anything, even development, we're going to grow at a measured rate, but at a positive rate. We'll see people coming from all over the place. Not just, I think, the Northeast Corridor, but I think all over the country and in the end, all over the world. So it's going to be growing. I think we accept that. And I think we could do some things to you know, mitigate that or help continue the quality of life, protect the quality of life that we have. I mean, just the fact that everybody's using Zoom now or some sort of technology to uh, connect is great. And you know, affordable housing has to be part of that solution where people can right. live closer to where they work. And so if my work has now moved home. I live where I work, right? And then traffic and transportation, all those kinds of things to think about those as, you know, more up Mike's alley to the city and we trying haven't to talked about that. Yet. <laughs> we can maintain that quality of life. Grew up here, born here. You know, I don't like the saying says, you know, we're closed. Charleston's closed. That's not the hospitable city that I grew up in that I know and love. But we can do it wisely, smartly as good stewards and have pockets of business that are close to where people live. That's just smart planning. You look at, you know, just Daniel Island where I live. It's just a totally planned community. I think if you went to Disney back in the 80s, you saw, you know, Walt Disney's plan for the city Mm -hmm. of the future, which was everything around the middle and and work and everything. And people could sort of get there in a circle. You can't do that in Chicago because you got all this water to your east. Mm -hmm. Same here in Charleston. But I think we can do it smartly and protect our quality of life. So last question before we wind up taking a kind of a different sign off as I usually do here. You know, a question to each of you. What is something that you've learned either about Charleston, about yourself or your business in the last Six weeks. Well, there's certainly been a lot of time for self-introspection, right? I mean, I think all of us in this community and every community have learned a lot about who we are, what we're made of. And I think in the Charleston community, what I've observed is a lot of what we've talked about today. People, when they saw what was happening around them, took the responsible high road and said, we need to get through this together. The sense of community has never been stronger. And Charleston has really proven that over the course of time. We've had many challenges in our community and we've always been resilient. And I think this is another example of that. Probably on a larger scale that this one is affected directly as opposed to indirectly more people. I think for me, it gives me real sense of community to know that I'm part of that, that I live here with people around that have taken this seriously and want to be stronger and better on the backside. And, it, you know, interesting when we have these Zoom meetings, I change my background all the time, but it's always a picture of Charleston and talk to people all over the country and the world. They all want to come, right? I mean, they all say it looks great. And we've heard that y'all are doing such a good job about this. And I read a little anecdote, a little piece that someone wrote in Travel and Leisure or something like that. So if you're in the hospitality world, take faith. They're asking people, what do you want to do? What's the first thing you want to do on the backside of this when you can move and you can travel? One of the things that came out more often than not is I want to go to Charleston. So I think that we've shown our mettle here in our community. And for me, that's been a great lesson. But again, still have plenty to do when people listen to this (laughs) podcast. Don't let your guard down. Be ever vigilant. Let's get through this together. And a year from now, I think all the things we talked about will come true. 
I think just learning the ability to pivot and adapt based on staff and culture that we're creating within our workplaces, within where we used to go every day, and now Zoom and technology and communication. And, you know, we can post something that, hey, we're now doing COVID antibody tests, and we can get immediate feedback through Facebook and LinkedIn and and Twitter and Instagram and everything. And so that's helpful. That sort of guides and directs. You can see the government when the White House press briefings are going on. It can be sort of the same and seem mundane, but they're really getting new pieces of information thrown at them each day from experts, really not just in the country, but all around the world. And so the ability to do that and pivot and adapt. And I mean, I'm just so blessed for our staff at Renew downtown at the Ivy Clinic and then at Holy City Med. When I asked them, are you okay? Are you comfortable? Do we have enough PPE? What's going on there? And they're like, let's do it. Let's see patients. Let's use the mask. Let's use the gloves. Use the hazmat suit and everything. They want to stay here and care. And again, none of us thought we were going to be doing drive-through medicine like this in this way. But people have grabbed onto it. They love it. People can go back to work because they get a negative result. Great. I don't have it. Now it's just a cough, cold, congestion, flu. And so we've been able to serve those needs of the community very quickly, where before we wouldn't have been able to respond so quickly. I think to sum it up, what I've really learned in all this is I really like my neighbors. <laughs> and you know, I think there's no better sort of indication yep. of who you are as a community when you can sit and say that when we've gone through this and we're packed in on top of each other. I really like my neighbors. So that's good. Well, I hope they're listening to that and you get some brownie points out of it or something like that. Or brownies. Uh, plenty of some brownies. Yes, yeah. brownies right. and cocktails, whatever gets you through the day here. So guys, thank you very much for coming on. I think this has been thank you. you know, really helpful. The goal of this, you know, podcast has been to help people grow their business and do it in a responsible manner. And I think, you know, some of the topics that we touched on today were very, very helpful. If you are a business owner who lives in the Charleston area or you live somewhere outside of the low country and you want to learn from one of the experts that we have here at Building Charleston and Lane Commercial Real Estate, definitely, you know, feel free to reach out. My contact information along with Adam will be in here. If you want any of the contact information from our guests, you don't see it in the bottom, definitely reach out to me because not only can me, myself and my business, we can help you with commercial real estate goals, but we have the subject matter experts on all these different topics. So again, if you've got a business here, you're growing, you need some help with something, definitely go into the show notes that you're going to see underneath this recording, reach out to us and we'll, we'll get you on your way. So finally, this podcast continues to be sponsored by Pop Popcorn. Mike is an all-star of the Building Trust <laughs> podcast, has tried the popcorn before. He came back with great reviews. He said it was the best popcorn he's ever had his entire life, bar none. So both of you will be getting a bag of Pop Popcorn made here in Charleston. One last time, thank you to the guests for showing up. Thank you to the listeners out there. Go out there, everyone. Be safe, be responsible, and make it a great day. This episode of Building Charleston is brought to you by Lane Commercial Real Estate, the Low Country's premier commercial real estate brokerage firm focused exclusively on representing Charleston's office, retail, and industrial tenants. If you're responsible for your company's real estate needs and your company is expanding, downsizing, looking to open a new location, or opening the first office in the Charleston area, give us a call at 843-508-3038 or go to our website at www.lanecre.com. That's L-A-I-N-E-C-R-E.com.